where is where did I do that? I threw that away and I shouldn't have. What's that? Something that kind of matches up with the first item on the, on the list. Uh huh. Yeah. Which I kind of question. It's not really GA, but this one is. Well, yeah, this isn't exactly a GA story, but maybe there's a. So, so I don't know who, which, which one of you, but I'm going to say that Jeb is the one who's the expert on uh, aircraft automation. And then, but sometimes the aircraft automation doesn't really work in your favor. If I'm the expert on auto, aircraft automation, then we are screwed. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, this, uh, <laughs> these there's folks. The li- there's the link after we talk about it. Oh, that. but it's a YouTube video. We can't watch a YouTube video here. Uh, everything will come screeching to a halt. I can, I can tell you what it's about yeah okay well tell us no tell us the youtube video first and then we'll see if people can guess what uh what it's related to what's the youtube video this is a video that uh uh, tom turner had a link to in his flying lessons weekly newsletter today about two guys that uh guys in a uh i think it's a tb20 or tb21 uh trinidad yeah all the, yeah, it has to be the 21, right? Because that's the gear horn. No, 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 no. no it could down. be the 20 or 21. The 21's turbo, the 20's normally uh, aspirated. Right, right, They're right. both uh, IO540s with retractable gear. And they go through the sound of the gear all the way down. Uh, then they go through the sound of the stall horn, which is noticeably different. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm at times beginning to wonder whether... Uh, active noise reduction headsets have gotten too good. Um, okay, I guess I didn't get they the whole picture here. here. Well, they landed gear up, yeah, because they didn't hear the gear the the system screaming at them. Everybody on YouTube heard the gear horn screaming at them. <laughs> Why didn't they hear it? Well, I'm a little surprised that these gear, all these different alarm sounds, aren't fed into the intercom. They can be if if you decide to wire them that way. Generally, it would take um, at least a field approval and probably a change of the uh, warning horn device itself from an analog component to a digital one. That's true. Yeah, yeah, it's probably true. Your stall horn is not really going to be easily wireable. Into. No, I mean you could wire a light since this easily the stall well, the stall horn on my 152s was basically a kazoo that right. was you know and, right. Yeah. A lot of pipers though have a uh, electric light uh-huh. uh, that runs off a little electric switch out there. Uh, that it's the same kind of switch that later airplanes went to that actually had a horn that did away with a little air pressure kazoo sounding thing that I always thought, oh my God, Peter Pan's along and sh- the fairy's about to die. <laughs> well, uh, Tinkerbell, right? Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. Let me let me also Tink say say you believe. Come on, listeners, say, <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> Put the gear down, Tinkerbell. Put the gear down. Put the gear down. <laughs> Everybody, all, the all together. <laughs> all right. But, so, but, yeah. But let me dispel, and, and Jack, you can back this up. Let me dispel the myth, such as it is, that an A&R headset will block or, or defeat a gear warning horn. No. No, we, I did we, hear the. You heard the gear warning horn. I did hear. I just the other day. I did, as a yeah. matter of fact. Um, yeah. And uh, I knew what exactly you know what I was doing. I was circling to try to find some traffic, as I recall, because some huh, here here's a great. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember here's the circumstance. Here's a great yeah. radio call. Um, 
Cessna 150 landing at Wachula. What's it? That was it. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Whoa, time. And I'm like, you know, doing 150 over the ground in a descent, about to join the left downwind at Wachula. And I'm like, whoa, let's find out what this is all about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we maneuvered. It was great. We, we, it was, I mean, I, Jeb was worried about the traffic, and I was once I realized what was going on. But uh, up until that point, the maneuvering was fun. We went into a really good uh, we did bank, bank surf. 30, 40 bank, 30, 40 degree bank, and, and just racked it over. And I was... I wasn't paying any attention whatsoever to the to the angle of the bank. I was, you were and, and I'd, I'd pulled the power off anyway because I was trying to get down and slow down. And by this time, um, I don't know what caught up the the. I pulled it off a little bit more or whatever. But the gear warning horn so, started sounding. There, there you go. And and I don't know if it's Jack or the back seater said, "What's that? What's that? What's that?" Yeah. And we're all wearing A and R headsets. Right. I've got a yeah. Bose X on, and Jack has a, a Lightspeed Zulu on. And they're all working, and we all heard it. So let me right now dispel that that, that nasty yeah. rumor. At least yours can be heard, that's for sure. Well, yeah. and I always heard the audible alarms and stuff uh, in the A&R headsets that I've worn, some of which were piped through the intercom, like Jack suggested. Right. Uh, but I, I think A&R headsets, wonderful thing. I don't think there's a downside to them. I, know, I haven't found I, one, I, except price and the, well, the, and the need to carry some batteries on occasion. That's it. But I think it gets so quiet up there that people get so accustomed to conversation that they kind of forget about the world outside, particularly if they're going someplace, you know, you're not looking at a tower, you're not talking to a tracon. It's just a couple of guys putting along going, yeah, man, oh, what a pretty place. Have you been here before? Yeah, they got a great burger at the restaurant uh, just off the end of the field. Even through keying the mic and saying, you know, November such and such, uh, entering the pattern for somewhere for runway such and such. That they never. If nobody talks back, they never really hear what's outside again. They just keep talking all the way to the field. I've sat in the back seat with people like that, yeah. Yeah. and I kind of want to lean up and says, do, "Do you guys notice that airplane out front?" Well, I, I had a flight last month. Um, had a full flight coming coming back from uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. One of the passengers was a young young boy, uh, and um, liked the attention that he was getting from the adults in the airplane and basically decided that the best, the smartest thing for him to do was to talk. And we're all on the, on the same intercom system. And, um, by the time we got into the Tampa area, he had, he had found his air legs and, and, uh, had, had was very, very comfortable in the airplane and was looking around and, and things like this. But we're smoking in the Tampa area, descending out 11,000 feet and, covering some ground fairly quickly and uh, i kind of need to hear the controllers <laughs> so i had to put the auto i mean the auto the intercom into uh isolate mode i was gonna you do have that mode. I, I do have that mode yeah and um but he could talk to the other two people in the airplane as much as he wanted to but i didn't have to hear it i right. could concentrate on atc Actually, one of the great inventions on, on, on audio panels is the pilot isolate or crew isolate. In some instances, it'll let you uh, keep the front seats together. Well, that's the one. That's the way mine is, is set up. It'll, it, you have everything. You have three position switch. Everything, everybody's here and everybody. Crew, where the two front seats are connected via intercom, and the back two seats are, are connected but separately. 
and then ISO or Isolate, uh, which is pilot only. Here's ATC, and everybody else can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my. The only thing I really hate about intercom systems and outside influence is trying to listen to music. <laughs> yeah, I know. Jeff can tell some stories. We, we all have stories about that. You got a chatty Kathy controller. All you want to do is hear one more hit on on uh, some chorus uh, that you you know, uh, um, Baba O'Reilly or uh, or whatever, and. Wham! You you can't. You just got to push pause or uh, something or yeah. Because you invariably get a controller who's back. like really showing off how much they know mm-hmm. about the. He's, earth. Getting, he's getting paid by the word. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of Jeb and me uh, in Debbie passing the sh- Chicago Lakefront last July, uh-huh. trying to hear the rest of. Let's do the time warp again uh-huh. from Rocky Horror. <laughs> Just jamming and at an altitude where we, we really don't have to talk much. We but, of course, everybody to... else is talking. Yeah, and we, it's didn't, like... we didn't have to talk to anybody. We're like 12-5 over Chicago. Yeah. Um, Getting flight following, and yeah. it's kind of like we're up there fat, dumb, and happy. But, of course, all the traffic departing Midway and and in O'Hare that shares the frequency that we're monitoring. And if you want to shut up for a minute, just one, 30 seconds, just 30 seconds. You know, I, I <laughs> well, want to hear Frankenfurter. And, and, there's, and there's, you know, there's really no legal reason to, to be listening to that frequency when you're in that airspace. You're VFR. You can do it, you know, in, in a radioless airplane if yeah. you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, yep. Well, I guess you kind of sort of have to have a DME or, or a mode C encoder. Uh, that I, that I close, at, yeah. But... Yeah. Smart citizens. But um, um, we're droning along, really not talking to anybody, but we are monitoring. And, you know, it's like, and, you know, Speedbird 007, uh, you have traffic uh, 12 o'clock, um, 12,500 <laughs> feet, uh, unidentified. And uh, I, sir, we have a body tea cows. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and you're looking down on the lakefront, you're seeing these airplanes coming and going right. below you. You're looking down on a 74, you know, slow because he's he's almost as slow as you are because he's got a speed limit to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was dude, I just want to hear some more Rocky Horror, you know. <laughs> I, I don't care whether you got me on TCAST or not, you know. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It doesn't get any better than that. Welcome, folks, to episode, I think it's 271 of uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. That looks like the one. Yeah, we're recording this. Well, I got a little confused lately because we had a daily series of dailies there, and that kind of messed up the numbering system a little bit. I didn't didn't feel a day over 250 myself. Uh, Yeah, okay. That joke just never gets old. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm glad. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got now. Sky riders they, now. They, they, does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight clear land turkey special ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and alpha 
Uh, episode 271. Let's see now. Uh, we're recording this episode on uh, Thursday afternoon, January 26, 2012. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar, my two good friends. Uh, first of all, Dave Higdon's out there uh, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing really well and can't help but think how many drinks they'd have to pass out on a British Airways flight after a cabin announcement that says you're about oh, to I'm, ditch in the Atlantic. I'm sure, well, we'll come back to that story we'll, we'll in a come, second. We, we'll, we'll come back. I'm sure the liquor cabinet was empty when that bird hit the ground. Yeah, see? And if it had been me, I'd have been getting a couple of vouchers. Yeah. Well, see, now they don't even know what we're talking about because we never got that far into the story. One, one but, thing nice about BA is they always stock a good variety of scotch. I will I will echo that. Okay. Uh, and that other voice is Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing, Jeb? I'm fine, but I, I never touched BA scotch. No? Never touched their Scott. Have you ever flown on BA? I have flown on BA. You have? have. All right. Um, And I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I also am coming to you from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. This is my uh, beginning, or just kind of into my final week here, uh, visiting uh, uh, Shea Barnside uh, along the shores of of uh, Lake Darwin, Darwin. Um, you know, in the site of uh, of the uh, ever mysterious Treasure Island and uh, uh, Fantasy Fantasy Island. Excuse me. Okay, all right. Fantasy Island, yeah. Treasure Island would be sticking your leg near Wilson and having it come back intact. Well, you know, talking about Wilson is an interesting thing here. So um, it it it's beginning to look to me, and I'm not sure if Jeb's going to concur or not, but it's beginning to look to me like. Like the ga- the gator that was here, I saw him like last week, a week ago. I saw him. Um, the gator may have gone off for for you know better better climbs or something like that. I, I think the turtles have chased the gator off. There's a lot. There's of tur- a, I count I, the previous record was seven. Today I counted nine turtles. And these are not wow. turtles like the ones that you have in your little terrarium yeah, when you're a ten year old. Turtles right. that you pick up at the five and nine. All right, these are serious. You know, they're probably you there's know. There's a laptop. Yeah, yeah, these are big turtles. And so they've either chased off, um, sh- I call him Shorty because he's a little yeah, alligator. Yeah, not Wilson. Wilson's, yeah. Wilson's gone on to, um, um, I don't know, higher level or something. Yeah, he, well, he's, he's out there competing for a lady. Yeah, probably. Well, that's where Shorty probably went well, too. But Dave, Dave, really, in the final analysis, aren't we all? <laughs> Okay, uh, B.A. Scotch. I, we were I'd talking. I'd like about- to see you in a lady alligator. <laughs> we were talking about. We were talking I'm about. Good, uh, but I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> British Airways. <laughs> we were talking about British Airways Scotch here. Let's see. Um, so, uh, uh, Jeb's drinking. Way? Jeb's drinking Line and Kugels Fireside Nut Brown. Brown. Um, and oh, David, sort. you're probably drinking Scotch of some sort, right? No, tonight I'm I'm drinking Shiner. Uh, Bohemian Block Lager. Yeah. Oh. You know what this means? You know what From this Texas. Means, this means that Jack is the only one drinking liquor tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, but first of all, so David, is this one of your Beer of the Week things? It's, a- uh, it's one that uh, I was introduced to at Oshkosh, actually, by some boys from Texas. They had Shiner Bach and Shiner Black Lager, and they were both good. And periodically, one of the stores I go into will have a better selection of Shiner than of Lineys. Mm-hmm. And a few days ago, when, you know, uh, uh, per- perusing the adult beverage establishment, I was like, wow, a 12-pack of Shiner Black Lager. Uh, got any Lionies, uh brown or 
creamy dark or nope nope how about red just all the last 12 back they'll be here in a couple of days okay give me the shiner please yeah, right because <laughs> i don't know this is a joke there anyways um no i'm drinking uh jeb's got a little ready supply of maker's mark whiskey here which is good stuff i've oh, had it before but stuff but, excellent uh, stuff. but i've never actually had some uh, on tap so to speak it's not on tap but you know the old, I mean. oldest continually operated whiskey distillery in the united states oh really i i remember i read their story one time and th they do this thing where they drip wax down the sides of the uh, the neck L of the bottle for some little old ladies in a line and they take turns every 20 to 25 minutes they swap off and they dip them things in by hand in the wax as and then put them on the little line where they go down and get boxed up even the airline singles i should be surprised <laughs> that know. you know this but i'm really not <laughs> David knows everything. David knows. Anyways, so I, I, I did a very fairly generous pouring of, of Maker's Mark here, so things could go downhill fast as the podcast progresses. L L Stay Loretto, tuned. Kentucky, the, the distillery is worth a visit. This will be the first two-hour-long episode of UK. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. And on that note, let's move along here. So Moving right along. The story we were trying to get at earlier it was uh, uh, that where we digressed is uh, – um, an airliner. Let's see now. What what airline does it's it say? British Airways. British Airways. Um, yeah, babe. So I, I think this is nuts to begin with. I think this is just like just asking for trouble. All right. So they have these recorded messages, and I don't know whether it's the flight attendants or whether the cabin crew or some, I mean the the cockpit crew, but somebody can push a button and make these pre-recorded announcements play. And I would imagine that some of them are along the lines of "Here's where your life preserver is" and all those kinds of good things. Apparently, they also have a "We're all going to die" announcement. <laughs> <laughs> basically um, well, it, was a, it was a ditching message it was a ditching yeah. message yeah. all right which i'm sure everybody you know well anyways so, so apparently clock in the morning apparently at three o'clock in the morning while flying i don't know where um this message went off for some reason all right and you know hilarity ensued i mean it was like there was like craziness in the cabin they uh, people did not take this well well and, you, you got to put yourself in the environment here okay you're 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 droning along at 350 uh somewhere over the north atlantic not too far north i mean they uh e, e tops or it may have been a 47 uh i never did read what the airplane it, was. i don't think it ever and said this just this didn't order. start with some voice coming on and say excuse me ladies and gentlemen <laughs> we're about to ditch no there's this is a monty the, python routine right think here of the, think <laughs> of the deck of the enterprise in star trek where whatever the captain is says uh, we're on red alert and an alarm goes off then the voice comes on. Yeah. At 3 a.m. Yeah. What are you usually doing at 3 a.m.? Right. So the, so the message went off accidentally, and the flight attendant cabin crew are all, like, freaking out, saying, no, it's fine, it's fine, don't worry, don't panic. And didn't something else happen? Didn't it, like, go off a second time? It went off a second time. This is, the great, this is a great quote. Um, this is from one of the passengers. It was about 3 a.m. An alarm sounded, and we were told we were about to land in the sea. I thought we were going to die. Yeah. Um, then they played an announcement telling us just to ignore the warnings. <laughs> they have such an announcement. They have some. You know that apparently, according to this passenger, but I, I'm, I'm sure it was just a well-spoken FA who. Said, well, yeah. Oh, well, we're sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, go back to sleep. And yeah, I was going to say British Airways is nothing if not prepared. I guess right. They're uh, they're ready to go. So, yeah. 
So apparently, did people get, I mean, people went nuts. They were really frightened. And all kidding aside, people were seriously frightened by this. And uh, Well, it might have soiled my shorts, too. I, you know. If I'm, if I'm asleep and I wake up to hear bong, 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 please prepare for, you know, ditching. Well, let get my attention. I guess. I'm going to ring the flight attendant, and I'm going to say, please tell me there's a guy named Sullenberger in the left seat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say more of that B.A. scotch, please. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, it, and, you know, if you, if you actually had to do this night over water, uh, ditching in the daytime has enough depth perception challenges. Right. Uh, you know, you turn all the lights on and hope you see the water long enough for your eyes to get some depth perception before you start dragging the tail through the aqua velva, because then it's going to get really quickly slowed down. Dragging the tail. I don't think that's what aqua velva means, David. <laughs> <laughs> I think aqua velva is something else. But, okay, we take your point. You were trying to be poetic. You were trying to be... I'm, try- I'm trying to give trying a hint of colorful. what it would smell like by the time you hit the water. <laughs> yeah, well, that too, right? Yeah. Colorful, like Strother Martin. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, I don't um, think they have enough lavatories... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so they uh, so they accidentally played the things, and then they said, "No, never mind, never mind." Right? A little Emily Latella action going Emily on there, Latella. and, and, and uh, BA gave them all letters apologizing for the undue stress. <laughs> I was like, no stinking letter. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure I want to get back on BA either, but a voucher would 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 help me yeah. make up my mind. Yeah. Uh, so that and, they only give you if you actually land in the water. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, you swim All right. Sure. Well, from a not really off-field landing of the week to a real off-field landing of the week here. Uh, I, I like this report. I like this off-field landing because this particular uh, news outlet, uh, our, our, one of our regulars, actually, the uh, uh, Journal Sentinel Online from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, it's, so, the headline is, Pilot Lands Plane in a Muskego Field, No One Hurt. And then the story is all of three paragraphs long. Each paragraph is only one sentence. He's just like, he just kind of simply says, a Cessna 152 made an emergency landing on the western edge of Muskego. Uh, both pilot and passenger were uninjured. Plane was returning to Kreitz Field in Waukesha when engine trouble forced the pilot to land an open field between Hanabury and Parker Drives. End you did story. that almost perfect, dude. Mm-hmm. You really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Waukesha. Wa- wa- Waukesha. Thank you. Sorry about that. That's right. um, so this is great. I mean, I, like people should respond to aviation stories this way all the time. It shouldn't be like, you know, crash, burn. Oh, my God, we're going to die. Yeah. Well, you know, but we, we've talked about this before where the story, you know, is just somebody land. I mean, admittedly, it's serious. It's an emergency, but it's landed safe and un- quote unquote yeah, uneventfully. We're, we're kind of more used to the to the old joke about the the 150 crashing at a cemetery in Europe. So far, authorities have recovered 273 bodies. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, so, anyways, um, the downside of this story is we have no idea the name of the pilot to congratulate uh, him or her. But uh, but we do congratulate uh, the pilot and the passenger for getting the airplane safely on the ground and uh, good job. Uh, and I hope the pilot bought the passenger dinner. Yeah, you would think. Um, so uh, that's nice. Off field landing of the week. What's next here? Uh, oh, this is very cool. This is very cool. This is, uh, so last, I think it was last episode, maybe an episode before, we talked about the YouTube video that showed all the B-52s doing the expedited takeoff. Uh, the the uh, 
it was a training exercise uh, from uh, Minot. Uh, right, uh, the min- minimum interval takeoff. North Dakota. Um, we've since heard from two different listeners who are former B-52 uh, pilots or crew members who have filled in some of the details on this, and it's pretty fascinating stuff, if you ask me. Um, we heard from, uh, actually we heard by email from a listener by the name of Cliff D., uh, who uh, was a, a former uh, B-52 pilot, and uh, filled in some of the gaps for us here. It's a fairly long po- uh, email, and I've pasted it into the forums. So if you want to read the whole thing, go to the forums, and you'll find it there. Um, but just to kind of uh, a couple of different paragraphs here that I thought were particularly interesting. Uh, let's see now. He said, uh, he said, just listened to the Magic Hand episode. That was the title of the episode. And heard you discussing the B-52 Mito or Mito takeoff from Minot. The poster of that video on YouTube was an electronic warfare officer I used to fly with when assigned to the 96BS, which I'm guessing is something... 96th Bomber Squad. That would have been my guess, yeah, at Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. At the time of the video, he was the operational support squadron commander at Minot. Uh, The purpose of the minimum interval takeoff is to saturate the runway to get the fleet off the ground before the ICBMs impact the base. This video shows a 60-second MITO, which is the standard in the post-Cold War environment. But then he says, back in my uh, 1LT days, the last days of uh, SAC, Strategic Air Command, the standard was a 12-second MITO, which he says was very sporty. That's his word. He says very sporty. And I can only imagine, if because what we saw was exciting enough. Can you imagine doing that with 12-second intervals between the airplanes? Good Goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah. I'll, I'll all elbows and knees. Yeah, re- yeah, really. Uh, uh, he goes on to say a little bit later in the fo- in the posting in the email. He says we we sat alert with uh, daily worst case takeoff data computed by the lead copilot for eight, seven, and six engine takeoffs. We joked about this. The we do- we joked about the dreaded seven engine takeoff. <laughs> um, but no kidding, uh, they flight planned for eight, seven, and six engines on takeoff. So uh, okay, uh, he said my last alert tour. We had an engine fail to start during the weekly klaxon. We were expected to delay until the end of the stream and then launch if it was re- there was a reasonable chance of breaking ground by the overrun at the departure end. He says, such was the prospect of nuclear combat. And then finally he says, oh, so um, in the video we saw, uh, one of the uh, B-52s, after it had lifted off and was a fair way above the, above the, uh, uh, the runway, it did what we took to be a, ri- a wing rock. Um, and uh, it turns out, according to this guy, that was not a wing rock. That was, in fact, an encounter with wake turbulence. Jeb's, Jeb's wagging his hand like he doesn't believe it. But our, but our expert here, our guy with experience, says uh, he, and whether that one was a wing rock or an, or a, 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 an encounter with turbulence, apparently uh, wake turbulence was a big, big deal with, with these, uh, this particular uh, uh, maneuver. He writes, uh, the dip you saw was not wagging waggle of the wings. When a stream of bombers and tankers executes a mito takeoff, especially in the 12-second days, wake turbulence was a huge concern, he writes. The procedure to take off and uh, the procedure is to take off and after safely airborne turn to a mito fan heading in five degree increments so if there were five bombers and three tankers the lead would take off and as soon as the gear handle came up he would turn to a heading 35 degrees away from the crosswind side of the runway heading number two would turn 30 degrees and so on this is all what he's writing to us here um and until the last tanker stayed on the runway heading he said and then he says my first uh crew 
uh, this is when he first arrived uh, to fly these things. He says, my first crew nearly died a couple months before I joined them when training Mito was screwed up. He said, lead did not turn, and number turn two turned upwind, and my crew hit both aircraft's wake. He said... Boom. He says there was a video for this. He says, and that uh, it was shown for a decade afterwards on the B fifty two school B fifty two schoolhouse, showing the number three jet literally becoming a ballistic object for about three seconds and then fly away on a nine hour mission. So uh, uh, it's just just pretty amazing stuff. Um, I noticed just before we started to record here that yet another uh, B fifty two pilot has checked in. Uh, let's see if I can find that one. Um, 488,000 pounds on takeoff, and they burn off 4,500 pounds on on takeoff roll. On the takeoff. Yeah, roll. man, the wake turbulence has got to be ugly. Yeah, yeah. And so, they don't rotate. We also heard from Love a listener... We also heard, heard from listener Keith Renz, uh, who uh, uh, also writes a, a fairly long post. I won't try and do it all here, but he seems to confirm a lot of the things that uh, that uh, Cliff talked about. Uh, one thing that we also talked about was the fact that these B-52s have a tendency to take off in a verily, fairly deck-level configuration, and we were speculating on how that worked and what that was all about. Um, he writes here, let's see now, he says... Uh, uh, let's see, i got to find the right paragraph in here. Um, he says, uh, I'll find it, I'll find it. A few fun facts. He says, the B-52's wingtips flexed almost 12 feet in flight. He says, due to the angle uh, the wings were bolted onto the fuselage, the airplane didn't rotate on takeoff like most airplanes. He says, if you did nothing, the rear wheels would lift off before the front wheels. So you had to hold back pressure on the yoke to keep the airplane from wheelbarrowing down the runway. The speed at which the airplane lifted off the ground was called unstick. Uh, and if done properly, both front and rear trucks would lift off simultaneously. And uh, so it's it's pretty interesting stuff. Check out these two postings in the forums. Um, some really interesting information. We appreciate these two listeners checking in and uh, and uh, filling us on the detail. Uh, we, we appreciate also the fact that two B-52 drivers or people associated with B-52 operations are listening to uncontrolled air. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And um, I can't help but wonder how much older the airplanes were than the pilots. Oh, I think one of the guys mentioned that. He said, uh, oh, where is it here? Uh uh, he basically said that the airplanes that he served, the first guy, Cliff D, talked about the fact that the airplanes he served in uh, were manufactured before he was born, well before he was born. Um, let's see now. Uh, I think they stopped building that puppy in about 63. That's probably right, yeah. So, anyways. And good, it's still in service. Good stuff. Thank you to both of these listeners for uh, for educating us a bit about uh, about this situation. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Scary to think of having to do that. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, well, a lot of those Cold War jobs were pretty, I don't know, sobering. We we, we got between some uh, touch-and-go operations of C-130s at Greenville, Mississippi years ago. And, and there were four of them in the pattern. And the controller was basically trying to fan them out farther and farther because... Mm-hmm. Even at two minutes apart, there was no way we were going to get out of there without getting somebody's wake. Right. And we finally turned around and went back to the went back to the FBO for a little while. They did about another 20 minutes of circuits, and then they left. And when they left, we left. And as soon as we were turning out and on climb toward Florida, uh, two more arrived. And I was like, 
I, I wouldn't want to get behind one of those puppies. Yeah, they probably leave some waves, no question. Uh, let's see now. So um, Jeb and I uh, were uh, kind of blew our wad, if you will, um, on Sebring information, Sebring LSA Expo uh, information in the dailies that we did. But David, uh, you apparently from from afar have a little bit more information about the uh, I don't know aftermath or whatever. What'd well, you hear? I've been getting the daily uh, postings from the expo organizers, and uh, they uh, they've been putting out something based on gate attendance, uh, primarily in air traffic movements, secondarily. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, they had 16, according to their Monday data, that's the day after it closed, they had 16,000 people attend over the three days, or four days. Uh, They had something in the neighborhood of 3,400 flight operations during the four days, with Saturday being the biggest at 1,256 operations for the day. Yeah, they all arrived before us, so we had to park at the far side. It gets better. It gets better. Read the next sentence. Go ahead. This is the busiest hours were Saturday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. <laughs> with 222 flight operations. That's exactly the that time that we arrived. That was exactly the time we arrived, yeah. So there you go. Well, so you, you account for one of those. We account for one. Because yeah. a, a, a takeoff is an operation and a landing is an operation. Yeah. Uh, they had 156 exhibitors, and pretty much everyone that's given me any feedback, including you guys, has kind of conceded that the number of exhibitors was down a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, noticeably so. Uh, nonetheless, 156 exhibitors and 149 aircraft on display, and a lot of those doing demos. Uh, they say their ticket sales were about 15% over last year. Yeah, that's terrific. I'm happy for them, and it's consistent with what I observed. The crowd did seem to be slightly better yeah, than it was last crowd, right? year. Yeah. Well, they even sold more. Excuse me. They even sold more airplanes through their auction uh, inventory. Mm-hmm. Uh, they usually sell about one in five. This time they sold about one in three. Uh, so uh, the uh, the long and the short of it, what do you take away from that? I mean, you guys in mixed with some of the people that were there the two days that you were over there. Uh, you had your uh, meet up there at the restaurant. Uh, the feedback that I kind of got led me to believe that there's a, a little more consumer interest and a little more consumer activity, even if there's not, you know, continuing to be year over year growth in the number of people that are selling these bloody things. I mean, we, what we got about 115 or 118 designs now approved, and that's not counting the legacies. Right, I you know I mean the the mood was good. I I I I won't say that I that I you know talked to enough attendees to get a, a sense of the crowd, but just from wandering around and kind of overhearing conversations, and I did talk to about a half dozen of the vendors um, there uh, for another project, and the the impression I got was that everybody was pretty happy with the whole deal. Um, you know, they were selling airplanes, and there was a lot of interest, and you know people were getting it, and uh, the weather was beautiful, and you know everybody was pretty happy. Yeah, I think we talked about this in, in the last daily, but uh, my impression was, uh, yeah, exhibitors were down, uh, but the crowd was pretty quality. And I think uh, the exhibitor, the few exhibitors I talked to uh, echoed that. Um, the uh, people who with whom we met, we'll talk about that in a little bit later, but uh, uh, for the meetup, 
uh, and everybody else that we ran into, everyone was enthusiastic. Everyone was had money in their pocket. Everyone was shopping for something. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think I think twelve the, the twelve edition of of the um, Sport uh, Aviation Expo has really kind of uh, cemented its place here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some staying power. It's got um, some attraction, both from for exhibitors and for attendees. Uh, and I think it'll be here to stay. It's, it's kind of shaky sometimes for some of these new shows. They kind of come and go. Right. And yeah. uh, you, know, you, 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 you never hear from them again. And a couple of years later, well, wait a second, wasn't there a show that you know, had to do that? Right. And uh, that's not going to be the case. I think, uh, um, especially because it's you know, January in Florida, uh, I think people, a lot of people are going to plan for and uh, try to make this show in the future. Yeah. I think so. You know, that, that, that's a really good point uh, about the, uh, the the difficulty of establishing a new event as a signature event for whatever it was built around. Uh, because you know we've seen Sebring going on for all these years now, and is kind of real. It, it, you put it well. Cemented its place as the the, the place to go for the sport pilot uh, community. Uh, I don't know. It was what. 2008, 2009, NBAA and AOPA tried to launch a light business aviation expo separate from NBAA and separate from the AOPA uh, annual convention. And they got caught right at the cusp of the downturn. Right. And it never got off, it, it, it never had one to get off the ground. It, you know, it got folded into kind of a one day event more built around owner-pilot operations than a real uh, standalone show. Uh, the Asian Business Aviation Exposition and Conference that started back in about oh, uh, 2005, I believe it was. Uh, they got to 2008, and when 2009 was rolling around, that puppy got canceled altogether. This was uh, alternating between Hong Kong and Singapore. It's just now coming back this year. Uh, in in uh, Shanghai, I'm sorry, alternating between Hong Kong and Shanghai, uh, not Singapore, and uh, they have their own show. Uh, but this was something with a lot of industry support uh, and a lot of operator support, but only a really small operator community to base it on. And that community has grown so much in the last three years that they're they're looking at something far and away better in attendance and, and vendor uh, participation than they ever had before they dropped it for three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know it's it's it, it, it's a tough road to hoe. People oh, yeah. I work with in Europe have managed to. Uh, and I'm impressed as hell. I'm really surprised. My folks at World Aviation Communications, that's World Aircraft Sales Magazine, they have established and are now on their third or fourth year each uh, general aviation fly-ins in Europe and in England. And these are three-day events. They yeah. get several hundred pilots that fly in and local distributors, uh, uh, local flight schools, FBOs. They're kind of regional versions of, uh, of a little Oshkosh, if you will. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention this. So I, I don't know if I should do this on the podcast, but I will. What the heck? We should do a fly-in. We should have a UCAP fly-in. Ooh. Ooh, the silence is deafening. I like the idea. Yeah, I'm serious. Where? I, I, well, that's my question. Where should we have it? What do you guys think? East Coast, West Coast. 
I, I know the listeners are going to going to chime. I hope that w- listeners. Wichita. Wichita is very. Uh, that's actually very interesting. All right. So, what time of year? That's an even more. That's a more challenging question. Fall. Uh, yep. Like fall September or fall November. Two weeks after the NBA show. <laughs> you haven't really. That, that, that's going to bump. That's right. off, Come on, be more specific, Jeb. AOPA. Oh, I'm that's so, true. That's true. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, uh, two weeks before the the NBA show. All right, because because MB because our our people won't probably won't be NBAA people and. Uh, well, there's some overlap. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. There's okay. Some overlap. So so two weeks before NBAA in Wichita, which airport in Wichita, David? You tell us which is the most kind of fun GA hangout airport. Oh, dead cow. Dead cow. We could. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, maybe, huh? Dead cow would be a great choice. I'd need to talk to the leprechaun. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and and there's some logistics here that uh, that would make easily easy, actually. Uh, and if not dead cow, I've got another one in mind. It's about 15 miles east. That's uh, got more runway. Actually, got an instrument approach. It's outside the Charlie. Uh, you got fuel and be easy to set up some of the amenities through there. Either one of those would work. Augusta, three Alpha Uniform, or Jet Cow, aka Westport, seventy-one kilo. All right, listeners, tell us what you think about this idea. I yeah, guess tell us what you think about this idea so that we'll know how thick the padding should be on the walls on Jack's River <laughs> when it comes up. Yeah. One final thing on Sebring. Um, so uh, last episode, I think it was the main episode, we talked about, and I, I apologize, this is a little self-serving for me to bring this up, but, I, I, but people have been interested apparently. So we talked about who the, who the market was, who's buying LSA aircraft, and we talked about whether or not yeah. the, the, uh, the third-class medical p- potential change, proposed changes was going to uh, affect the, uh, the uh, sale of LSAs and whatnot. And um, and some people thought that that and I thought let's put it that way I thought that a lot of LSA aircraft were being bought by aging private pilots. Um, uh, others, I think Jeb, you, I, you, you Jeb thought that uh, that it would, they were in fact being bought by flight schools and and other folks who were in fact using them for their so-called you know intended purpose of of uh, entry level to flying and that kind of thing. Um, for what it's worth, and this is a very small sample, all right, but uh, I did interview about seven different um, uh, LSA uh, vendors, manufacturers, um, while I was there. And now a couple of them were kind of special cases, the Comet, which is the aerobatic LSA, and the Renegade. Well, not Renegade is a little more of a standard, but the Cub Crafter, which is a little special purpose um, LSA. Um, but uh, I did talk to folks from Remos. I talked to people from Flight Designs. I talked to the Renegade folks. Uh, and, and interestingly, they all said that 50% or more of their existing customers, uh, the, of their sales, have been to, they didn't use the term aging private pilots, but they basically said private pilots who were you know, older. And, and uh, We have legacy aircraft, we have legacy pilots. Yeah, legacy, legacy pilots. pilots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, just a basis of that little sample, um, it kind of confirms what I thought in the first place. And uh, um, it, it's, you know... And so it's no wonder to me that the LSA industry is a little concerned by the by the proposals to uh, to uh, uh, change the third class medical rules so that uh, so that these aging private pilots did not need to buy an LSA to go flying, you know. And uh, and then we yeah, also heard a. Roof- 
Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, we also heard, um, and this is really in the rumor category. Well, it's more than a rumor because it was brought up by by Rod Hightower of EAA. Um, but he reported at his big uh, keynote dinner talk uh, at at Sebring that he that he says that there is very very preliminary discussion going on inside the FAA about the possibility of raising the LSA weight limits. And uh, and that would kind of have a similar effect in turn if if for example one fifty twos or even one seventy twos suddenly fell into the LSA category, um, which is to say you could fly them as a sport yeah. pilot. I don't think the one seventy two has a ghost on that, but well, I do think that the one fifty, the one fifty two, uh, the one twenty, the one forty Cessnas. Uh, I think they would definitely be. Uh, what about uh, the small Cherokees, like the one forties and the? No, nah, those are over two thousand pounds. Yeah, one forty won't make the cut, but the, the Tomahawk and the Beach Skipper will. Yeah. Bingo. And, exactly. and again, this is all very, very preliminary. Nobody knows exactly what weight limits are. Because I, when I was talking to the manufacturers, when I interviewed all the manufacturers on the grounds at Sebring, and asked them about the the, the rumors about a weight limit change, none of them talked about a, a substantial weight limit change. They all kind of said oh you know well if they raise the weight limit by 100 pounds it would be great because we could add parachutes right. and we could add right. you know yeah. that kind of thing and, and, and that well, to me makes a lot more sense for the light sport industry uh a to to get that kind of a, of a weight increase now i don't i know it's tied to to some kilogram value and i know it's you know also tied to uh overseas manufacturing and regulations i get all that um, but, uh, hey, guys, here's a way to make some money. If you can get a 100-pound, 150-pound gross weight increase, add an airframe parachute. Add some more soundproofing, you know, and, and charge for it. And uh, um, us, us overweight Americans will probably pay the freight. Yeah. So. Well, and think about this. A Cessna 140, uh, which in my mind, there's no sweeter little starter airplane in, in, in the vintage tail dragger community. Than a 120 or a 140, they're just really nice, honest airplanes. They grew up to be 150s. You know, you can argue the advantage or disadvantage of the ex- of moving wheel forward, but this is an airplane with a gross weight of 1,450 pounds. 1,450 pounds. Uh, the leap from 1,320 to 1,450. That's 130 pounds. Uh, that's Boy, that would be a big winner for the Cessna 120-140 community. Uh, and, and there's a lot of other aircraft out there that uh, there's exactly. some Piper models, some, some uh, tail dragger, rag wing Piper models that aren't, are not currently eligible for light sport category but would be brought in under that umbrella. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense from, from, variety of, excuse me, from a variety yep. of standpoints. Um, I'm not sure about some of the Cherokee 140s, though, so especially some of the early ones, Dave. Even they, they might be competitive with the 150 in that weight class. I'm not sure. Well, the 140 that we owned uh-huh. uh, was a 69 model. Uh-huh. Uh, had not had a gross weight increase from the originals, okay. and it was 2,150 really? pounds. Really? Huh. That's surprising. Huh. Yeah, uh, I, 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 was, I accept that absolutely. But uh, that's, I didn't. I'll have to go check out my old. I got a uh, PA one PA twenty eight one forty manual right here somewhere. I used to fly ones back in the day. 
It'd be interesting to look up the weight on an airplane. Yeah. So this weight thing is very, very preliminary, rumored, oh, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And and even the third-class medical thing apparently is totally on hold right now because the, look, deer. <laughs> Sorry, looking out Jeb's window here. And there's deer in the yard there's, right there's there. three deer walking by. Well, it's very it, cool. It, um, I had somebody challenge me on the discussion that, uh, you know, if, if if I didn't think this no medical certificate for simple airplanes, fixed gear, fixed prop, up to 180 horsepower, four-seaters. The the basic airplane that you could fly with a recreational pilot's license, if you made that all no medical for the private pilot up to that point, uh, oh, you just, you, you, you don't want to see the light sport guys lose sails. And I'm like, sails to what? Well, you know, new Cessnas, because then that's going to make them more competitive. I don't think so too much. And here's why. Yeah. Yeah. A a, a 2012 2012 edition of Cessna's 172 Skyhawk with the standard 160 horsepower engine, that's the 172 Romeo, is a $275,000 airplane. The 180 version is $308,000. That's a long way from a $120,000 sport airplane that would, to a lot of them, will carry full fuel two people and about as much luggage as that 172. And speed limits be damned might be a tad faster. Certainly will, That's be, right. more, certainly will be more fuel efficient. Oh, huge difference, yeah. Particularly over the 180. I mean, you're looking at close to right around 10 an hour. Versus, well, if they, they stuck you with an LSA that had the uh, uh, updated 0200. I won't mention any names. The, the Continental 0200. Uh, you're looking at five and a half to five and three quarter gallon an hour on that. Less for a Rotax 912. Right. And going about as fast. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly within the day trip range, you know, oh, it lands six minutes ahead of me, and we took off at the same time. I'm sorry, that's not worth five gallons an hour. And it's not worth, you know, 50 grand either. Right. Yeah. So this new Skyhawk, is this uh, is this a cool airplane? Is this what's uh, – it is a cool airplane. Oh, nice, nice, uh, uh, nice airplane. Uh, some of the stuff that used to be optional, optional is now standard, like uh, – IEDSB, you can get enhanced vision system. It's a G1000 airplane, by the way. Yeah. It's got a Garmin G1000 integrated flight deck in it. And that, and that accounts for half of the purchase price, right? Well, a third. Yeah. So, uh, but the no. Engine, the engine's another third, and, and, and everything between the engine. I'm and, sorry. Everything attached to the engine and the avionics counts for the rest of Does it. Does anybody else think that's just out of whack? Since they started building them again in Independence back in 1996. Yeah, okay. Anyways, um, yeah, so it sounds cool, the new Skyhawk. Anything else you want to add about that before we move on? I'm done. Okay. Um, So uh, (laughs) there's a segue in here that has to do with Skyhawks, Chicken Hawks. I don't know. Um, David, this is an airplane for you. I'm stunned that you and I both came up with this. I'm not stunned at all, man. It was a no-brainer. If you saw this on the web, you were going to put it on the list. Well, it was sent to me by somebody not in the same loop. I I don't know where I found it exactly, but uh, this is just way cool. So this is uh, (laughs) an Italian home built. Um, uh, Let's see if I can bring it up on my screen here. Um, I, oh, that's right. I found it be- 
because uh, I regularly look at the uh, the uh, the cool website with the weird name Air Pigs, right? Uh, and uh, um, Air Pigs has a a feature uh, a blog item. Of, oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, you look at it now. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that's just wrong. So it's 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 your basic configuration airplane with one exception, and that is instead of the the engine um, uh, the tractor engine, uh, which is to say engine front mounted engine being um, sort of on the center line straight in front of the of the cockpit on the longitudinal axis thank yeah you. the the engine is on a sort of a mount that's up above the wing it's a high wing airplane um but the engine is mounted sort of on top of the wing and kind of extending forward from from think, the wing think about an airplane that has a pusher amp uh, an amphib with a pusher engine right except it's twisted around, a, around i was gonna say above the cabin right think, front. think think of an unnatural liaison between a mall and a lake amphibian and turn the pusher propeller yeah. around to a tractor. But here's where this airplane really moves into the into the you know surreal, all right? And that is that the airplane has been painted to look like a big chicken, all right? A um, rooster. A rooster, excuse me. A rooster is a kind of chicken, isn't it? I don't know. I don't live in Kansas, well, so what do I know? Just, but you know, he's the cock of the walk. Yeah. Okay. Can All I right. see that on radio? <laughs> I'm not doing this. Man. I'm not doing. This. <laughs> not tonight. I'm so, not doing this. So the airplane is painted in such a way that this uh, this engine mount that's kind of higher above the wing is the head of the chicken. They've even added a sort of a what do they call that thing on the top of the chicken's head the, with the. The, the crow, uh, the the comb, the comb, right? Yeah. So they've got that, and the spinner is the nose of the chicken. We see the chicken's eyes and 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 sort of beak, not exactly beak, but more of a mouth. It, it, they they carry kind of it right through the landing yeah. gear. Yeah, they, the landing paint. gear is the legs, and then they got back to the tail. If you look at it from the top or the bottom, the wings are painted as if it was the wings of the chicken, and uh, it's just a cool looking airplane. And uh, there's a YouTube video here that I don't dare play, but uh, it shows it. Uh, what I think is it's like its first flight or something like. Like that, but uh, um, I, I don't know if it's at first, but it's definitely a flight. Yeah, and, so, and if anybody's ever flown an airplane with pusher prop, uh, and the, the 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 thrust line mounted way above the longitudinal axis, like yeah, that, no, what does that do? That creates some interesting dynamics as you change power settings. I would think. Oh yeah, yeah. Typically. In, in conventional airplanes with a tractor uh, propeller arrangement within a single engine with the nose out front, when you reduce power... Uh, the nose is almost always out front, but the propeller might be. Well, the engine... And all on the longitudinal axis. I'm sorry, Jeff's just giving me looks here. I don't usually get this kind of feedback from him normally, but... Uh, <laughs> He probably has this sort of disparaging look in his face all the time, but I never see it. So, uh, anyways, I'm sorry I interrupted you. The the uh, the the uh, the nose on the front. Go ahead. The, the, the nose on the front with the where the engine be. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you um, on, on, a, on a lake amphibian, for example, when you reduce power, the nose tends to pitch up because of the thrust line of the engine. Uh, when you add power, the nose tends to pitch down, which is is reverse of what you would think of in a conventional single-engine airplane with the engine mounted in the nose out front. <laughs> and okay. this puppy wants to pitch forward when you add power. Right. Well, well, but does it, or do they make allowances for that and give the tail more authority or something? Well, they have this thing called an elevator. Yeah, that's what I just said. Do they give the elevator more authority so that it kind of com it compensates for now, the fact that now the... how do you know? 
that's an elevator. Okay. And it could be a stabilator. No, it's an elevator. How do you know? I watched it. Oh, okay. No, I'm looking <laughs> Never mind. We can't watch the video, so. Well, there, there's the, the footage shows him doing some run-ups on the ground, and he has to pull them. David? David, we can't hear you, David. I don't know whether you can hear us. David. Hey there. Sorry about that. That was us. We had an internet blip here. Yeah, it, it told me. Yeah. So, anyways. Um, Jack just went offline. Yeah, I know. We, we were cursing you for a little while. <laughs> we thought it was you, but it wasn't. It was us. It was Hidden River. So, uh, they have these little teasing. They, they've, like, they've run the conduit for the fiber that's going to be installed here at Hidden River. Ooh, uh, that's right. You guys are going to get modern. I know. And, I'm, and, and I had heard, you know, when I first got here, I was walking up and down the road looking at these things and realizing there's no fiber there. That's just the tubing. It's just the it's just a conduit. It's just a PVC uh, piping that's kind of, and it's still sticking up out of the, even the conduit isn't completely there yet because they just got, they've just kind of buried it under the ground and left the end sticking up out of the, out of the, the ground. So yeah, at some point they're going to have to dig under my driveway. Yeah, but that's okay. That's <clears throat> oh, what they're, I, yeah, I'm not, that's know. what. That's what the president's paying for, and so yeah. So. I forget what we were talking about. Um, flying we were roosters. talking about flying roosters, roosters. flying roosters. So uh, and thrust lines, thrust lines. So um, no, that's not a porno term. Uh, it is now. Um, so uh, <laughs> it always has been. <laughs> I got you a thrust line right here. Anyways, it's a cool airplane. Um, it's, it's a cool-looking cool airplane. airplane. And uh, um, and once you figure out how to deal with the fact that uh, adding and decreasing power is going to do things that might be somewhat unexpected, yeah, you're good to go. And, well, uh, it, it, you know, the, you, you do wire into that when you fly an airplane, like with that kind of thrust line uh, asymmetry, thrust line longitudinal axis when they're out of line like that. You do pick it up. I would uh, imagine, sure. Yeah, but it's something that you really need to be aware of going in. Otherwise, you do a run up too long and it beaks itself. <laughs> Even though you've got full back, you got full up elevator, and the brakes locked, and it goes like putting the brakes on a motorcycle, front brake on too fast to slow down, the back wheel will come up, and that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. So you can see it in the video. It starts to happen a couple of times. So if this when. I, I got to wonder what the engine is. I don't know. Jeb, you were going to say? I was going to say, you know, God forbid, you know, something like this happened. But if this aircraft were to crash, yeah, what do you think the eyewitnesses would say? <laughs> it's I a didn't fucking rooster. I didn't, I didn't know roosters could fly. <laughs> Well, imagine if it's just flying low over your house, yeah, right. dropping eggs, and you go, you call the authorities and go, no, honest, it was a flying rooster dropping eggs. <laughs> no, sir. yeah. Only chickens can draw, drop eggs. <laughs> yes, sir, and this one was flying over. You could hear the engine. Sir, chickens don't have engines. <laughs> As God is my witness, I, I could swear roosters could fly. <laughs> So we got to let, let me put you on hold, sir. We've got some people that are going to be right out to see you. Yeah. So we got some uh, 
I don't know how to characterize this exactly. It's Colonel Sanders. Yeah. We got some promising news. We got some, I don't know if this is a tease or if this is really a good thing. All right. But we got news the other day that uh, that the Congress, both parties in Congress, have apparently reached an agreement on one aspect of what has been holding up FAA reauthorization for all these years. And but it was a big a big element as I understand it. Um, and uh, can you guys give us the short version on this? What's wh- what's the deal? Quote I'm making finger quotes. The deal that was made and is it really going to help? David, you go first. Me? Oh, okay. Uh, there's been a hold on the bill because uh, one party wanted language that overturned a. Uh, uh, was it a Labor Department decision or a rule change? NLRB or a, or a federal NLRB. Board. I'm sorry, you got it. NLRB that said that National in, Labor Relations Board. Relations Board. Thank in, you. In union elections, the uh, the the decision on whether the union was voted in or out would now depend on the majority or uh, votes cast. So, if more than half the votes cast said yes, they got a union. If more than half the votes cast said no, they didn't. Up to that point, it had always been all non-voting people were counted as no votes. And we don't do that in any other kind of election. Otherwise, there's some presidents that would have never made it. Uh, And some senators and some members of Congress and city councils and school boards and dog catchers. So they agreed to drop that and make a little fine-tuning to the ruling and let it go forward. In the meantime, they're working on their 23rd extension so that they can do the formal deal. They still disagree on two-year versus three-year, and industry still would like four- or five-year. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of other issues in there, too. Um, I remember um, uh, there's another issue regarding uh, – well, it doesn't affect FIA, though – but. Um, uh, that issue was on the Senate side, essentially, I believe. There's an issue on the House side also, and um, they have to resolve that. Um, what was what re- really was frustrating, though, was earlier in the week we started seeing these blurbs in some of the aviation media, uh, deal cut on FAA reauthorization. Yeah, I know. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the implication, clear implication was that the FAA would get a, a long-term multi-year bill Soon, from from this, but it wasn't to be. They got a, another, yet another extension. I think to like February seventeen or yep. thereabouts. Uh, yep. Not even thirty days, I guess. Uh, oh, they're already working on an extension to that extension. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I just the, all the all the coverage that was kind of misleading here. I, I consider that to be Congress interruptus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I heard from a retiree friend of mine, an FAA retiree retiree, FAA who said retiree. he's really lucky. He drew <laughs> he he drew number twenty five. In the poll on how many CRs there are, continuing resolutions for the FAA. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm sorry, he has what number again? 25. 25. 25. He's getting there, huh? Getting there. He drew this number a year ago. Yeah. I sometimes feel like, so there's a, uh, if you ever live in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically the San Jose area, there's an attraction. It's kind of interesting. It's called the Winchester Mystery House. 
it's this this uh, amazing Victorian era house that is huge, and it's got all these different wings and buildings and stairs and additions and and stuff, and it all comes from the fact that the woman who who built it way back a hundred years ago, um, she was the heir to the to the Winchester gun thing, right? And she felt like um, that the the people all the people who were killed by Winchester guns over the years were out to get her. The ghosts were out to get her, and the way she was protecting herself from these ghosts was she needed to continue to build this house and for as long as she was I, I know that yeah building that this house she was safe and that if they ever stopped building this house she would die and i and i actually think the story the story goes that she did in fact die like you know within a year of them st- stopping construction on the house i know how she feels yeah point of the whole story is i sometimes feel like fa reauthorization is is somehow metaphysically connected to the run of the uncontrolled airspace podcast it's like we started this podcast <laughs> bitching and moaning about well and there was no reauthorization you know and at that time there hadn't been a reauthorization in what a little more than a year all right and like we've been doing this whatever it is five or six years now and there's still no reauthor if they ever pass a bill we might just poof out of existence or something like that no there's probably a line item in the bill that prohibits uncontrolled airspace <laughs> And that's the big stumbling block. That's the one thing that both parties are agreed on, right? It's a... There you go. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that'll, that'll sail. All right, like, like crap through a goose. So listen, is this a is this progress? Have they really have they really agreed it on is, this it, thing? It is progress for them to have resolved this labor issue. Okay, it definitely is progress. Um, that has been a major sticky point. Uh huh. Yeah. And it, as Dave, you know, correctly noted, you know. We're talking about president voting versus uh, totally eligible to vote, and, and you know, it's it's stupid. It's, it's it should this is the way it should be, and um, hopefully this will be the way it will be. Yeah, David, anything else you want to add to this? Um, that, uh, I, I'm I'm hoping that my friends write that it doesn't go past 25, because the guy that's got number 26 will be insufferable if he wins. <laughs> <laughs> Came across this uh, webpage about a really cool aircraft. This is a lighter-than-air aircraft. Um, it, it's a uh, an airship of some sort, but it's got the most incredible um, structure that attaches to the to the envelope. Um, looking at this picture of it, it almost looks like sort of an insect kind of thing. It's this this uh, sort of tube and tube frame with uh, a couple of uh, of uh, engines with propellers that that swing out to the sides and uh, big. Big uh, uh, cockpit, glass cockpit, and uh, it just looks cool. Have you guys seen this? No, not until right now. This looks like a cross between a, a Bell 47 and the Alien. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. It looks like that. Yeah, you're right. It looks like that Bell 47 helicopter uh-huh. and the bad, the nasty creature from Alien. I agree. Lower down here, there's a couple of shots of ren- artist renderings of it with the envelope inflated. Um, it has sort of an odd envelope. It's it's not. It's literally a sphere in the mm-hmm. pictures. Um, I was reading the text. It has something to do with the way that they're actually using some amount of solar power to keep the envelope inflated. I think. And uh, um, well, and they're using solar power to power the little electric motors. Are they that too? Long. Yeah. Right. So, look, Jeb. There's a there's an amphib version there down lower. And, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there's one pictured uh, doing some crop spraying. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's. Um, um, I don't know, man. This is this is a little bit. No, it's cool. I like it. This is a little bit far well, fetched. We could land this in your yard. We could, yeah. And, and, much land and the interesting thing is that they really have come up with a different idea 
for a practical vehicle for some of the applications that they're talking about mm -hmm. that's going to have a, a, a much a, a dramatically lower overall cost and operating cost in particular than a helicopter to do this same job. Mm -hmm. The big expense here is going to be helium. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but helium I, I, cheap. But, but wait a minute. Does it use helium or does it use hot air? What's in the envelope? That's my, I, I thought it used helium. I thought I saw something that I said hot air. Let's see here. Uh, oh, I think you're right. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Helium. Huh. Yeah. Um, I'm so wrong. Yeah. Similar to a lighthouse, the Sunrise uses a Fresnel lens. From mounted Fresnel, on. yeah. Um, we'll talk about that later on. Um, <laughs> mounted on a two-axis tracking system. This will come up at the next board. To constantly concentrate sunlight into a focal point within its large insulated balloon. Voila, buoyancy. Well, here's, here's my thought on this. And, and I admire the design. It's, it's very innovative. Uh, it's rather odd-looking. And it is the bastard child between the Alien and a Bell 47. But it's new manufacturing, new design, etc. So... Here's my question. Basically, as I understand it, I, I'm, I'm presuming that the envelope itself uh, is kind of stored in this canister object uh, on near the top of the of the craft, and that it can be inflated, deployed and in, in inflated uh, uh, autonomously. But it can also be deflated and perhaps uh, uh, retracted back into its storage container. Okay. And if not, it should be, especially where I'm going with this. Um, so the rest of it kind of looks like an erector set. So what I'm thinking is we can actually do George Jetson's briefcase here. Oh, yeah. Oh, it just poofs yeah. up. It, it, just, just, it, just, it just poofs up and it, and it yeah. collapses down and you just carry it, you know, put it in the back of your Pinto or something. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a uh, 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 constructors. Uh, what's the, the, the Transformer. robot? Transformers. Excuse me. Thank you very much. We saw a cool Transformer car the other day. <laughs> this was a very, very cool. We should get a video of this we before I... We should get I, a video of this car. Yeah. This was this was <laughs> car was really had a convertible top and it really had about 47 moving parts and they all did do do it was looked just like a, uh, one of those creatures from the movie. Um, anyways, well, it, it goes even farther. It uses a it uses Sterling engines to drive the props. Oh well, then it's for, it's host. It's forget it. It's not going. Sterling engine doesn't it's work. Sterling right? engines actually work. Yeah, and they 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 just transform energy at about you know a uh, they transform a, heat into movement like almost any other. Yeah, engine. at an efficiency of about a half a percent, right? But you got this solar concentrator that's blowing up that envelope. Okay. Now it can create heat for one side of the Stirling engine solar cycle to help get it going. Blowing up the envelope. That's the one right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing that's, down titles it's here. Gonna, it's not going to fly Jeb's Debbie. No. No. And, but on and a lighter-than-air craft. Two, two other thoughts here, though, too. Yeah. Uh, and you know, depending upon the efficiency, you're not going to be flying very far very long on a cloudy day, and you're certainly That's not right. going to be doing it at night. Nope. That's all right. I don't like to fly at night anyways, so it's okay. Oh, night flying is great. No, you um, can't see the ground. Sure you can. Sure you can. There's lights and stuff. No, it's not the same at all. You night can't. flying is just the same as daytime flying, except you can't see. Okay. All right. It's smoother. Yeah. It's almost. All right. According to both Wikipedia and Dictionary.com, uh, the S in Fresnel is silent. Fresnel. It's a Fresnel lens. Right. Anyways, uh, we got to wrap this thing up. What do we got here? A sunrise terminal. Uh, 
Uh, let's see now. FAA fails to follow its own standards. Well, there's no news there. We'll push that till next week. Oh, I'm yeah, shocked. There's gambling. Yeah, right. Uh, five grand flying machine, David. Uh, frugal flying. What do you got here? Oh, it, I found this on Craigslist. It's a Buckeye powered parachute. Uh, two place meets LSA uh, weight and speed standards. Uh, Mulvane, Kansas, which is about 20 minutes, 25 minutes south of Wichita, then the guy's asking $5,500. Now, if you're interested in a powered parachute and you're rated or you know where to get lessons, uh, Buckeye powered parachutes have been around for quite a while. Uh, they're an established opera, established manufacturer. Uh, and I, last time I checked, a new one from the manufacturer was considerably more than fifty five hundred bucks. So, mm, very cool. Yeah. What? Nothing. And a one, and a two, and a one. You've two. been tainted by your friend who thinks these aren't really airplanes. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about that. <laughs> They're not airplanes. It's a parachute. It's a parachute. All right. I'll see your parachute and raise you two parachutes. It's very nice. Anyways, all right. What do we got here? Shoutouts. That's what we've got. Shoutouts. Who's got a shout-out? Jeb, you got one here. Yeah, I do. Um, this is to uh, users and uh, um, um, pilots, users of the uh, uh, Essex, Maryland Sky Park and uh, uh, pilots in the D.C. area. Uh, the Essex, Maryland Sky Park is threatened, uh, in this case, by the state of Maryland, which um, um, wants to basically tear up the runway, plant some trees, um, and for really no good reason, there's got to be some other land around there that they can use for such purposes. There's uh, um, uh, some other interesting uh, tidbits about the facts behind Essex uh, uh, Air Park, uh, not least of which is it's really the only GA airport in Baltimore County, Maryland. Um, it's paved. Uh, I think they also have a grass runway. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, the state of Maryland wants to close it. There is a petition to save it. And uh, we would uh, and certainly encourage uh, our listeners to, uh, when the show notes are done, uh, go and uh, click on the link to uh, uh, surf to the, uh, the uh, site where this petition is, is being maintained. It's, uh, I think, choice.org. But uh, it's certainly a worthy thing to do. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, in the words of... Uh, um, one of the sites I visit on occasion. When you care enough, when when you you care enough to what's the phrase? I don't know. You brought it up, man. When you when you care enough to click send, <laughs> okay, <laughs> something like that. Um, um, this is you know takes takes thirty seconds of your time. Uh, go to the go to the UCAP site. Click uh, on the uh, uh, the entry for this. And go to this this uh, petition site and, and sign it. And uh, numbers never hurt. You might save an airport. Sounds good. Absolutely. David, you got any shout-outs? I'm signing the petition as you speak, so go ahead without me. Done mine. Yeah. Um, I got one shout-out here. Uh, this this is probably the last episode that we will record while I'm down here in Florida. And, and it would be incredibly remiss of me to not uh, uh, thank my host, Jeb, for, uh, for allowing me to escape winter and come down here to beautiful Florida for, for almost three weeks. Uh, and uh, it, it, it boggles my mind that he's willing to let me come in here and take over his guest room and half of his kitchen with all my gear and 
and junk and so forth. I just don't and, need to look at the guest room. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the wise, a wise thing to do. Um, so, anyways, I've enjoyed it a lot, uh, and uh, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you well, for having thank, me. Thank you for mentioning it on the air, and, and you're, you're welcome anytime, Dave. Of course, you're welcome anytime. Um, happy to have you, and, and uh, we're not finished having fun yet. So. No, not at all. I've I, never, I've never felt like a stranger there, or at least no stranger than I was when I showed I was up. Say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no strange. <laughs> yeah, okay. There's a joke there someplace. Um, but anyways, it's really appreciated. Thank you very, very much. Uh, any other shout outs? Anybody? Fork time. Okay. Yeah, one quick one okay, to uh, to uh, my old friend Jeff Turner, who runs Spirit Arrow Systems here in Wichita, uh, who's receiving uh, the number one award from the uh, Wichita Arrow Club on Saturday evening. Uh, unfortunately, prior plans prevent me from attending, uh, so I wanted to pass it on. Uh, it, it's it, the recognition's well deserved. He's a hometown boy that's helped make. Uh, Boeing Wichita transitioned to a private company uh, a, a success and now they even build parts for GA airplanes so way to go guys congratulations Jeff very cool very cool it's a target rich environment when it comes to uh, titles for this pos- this episode we've got uh, Kazoo we've got Speedbird 007 we've got Thrustline we, I don't know what this meant. I wrote breaking yourself. What was that? I forget what we were talking about. Breaking yourself. Um, Congress interrupt us and uh, blowing up the envelope. So I don't know what we'll come up with, but we'll see. Uh, thanks for uh, for getting together this week. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place. Starting to get geared up for uh, the March issue of said magazine. Uh, wish, wish me luck. Um, and uh, personal website would be jeburnside.com. Uh, and then there's, you know, occasionally aea.net and uh, avweb.com. You know, and, and if you Google me, just pay no attention whatsoever to the thing about the goats. It's, it's, they, they're lying. And uh, I was commenting on this to you the other day. So uh, an otherwise fine publication has begun its long slide downward. <laughs> the, the February issue, I was shocked to discover, has a uh, somewhat suspicious-looking character on the cover. I, uh, so I'll leave it at that. If you're a subscriber to uh, Aviation Safety Magazine, just be prepared when you, when you uh, open the uh, envelope. Or how does it come? Does it, I guess it just comes. It comes. Uh, it comes just as a magazine. Just with as a, a magazine. Yeah. Right. Mailing label on the back. Yeah, which means there could be, you know, postal postal regulations violated there, here. There could be uh, all kinds of, of violations involved with this. All right. If you're not already subscribed to Aviation Safety, you should be. Uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, easiest place, avbuyer.com, aea.net, that safety thing that Jeb mentioned uh, with some regularity. Or do a Google search, roll the dice, and uh, pick something from the third or fourth page. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not already subscribed to World Aircraft Sales, you should be. That's a joke. If you, you'll get it later on. Pick it up at your local FBO. Pick it up at your local FBO. There's always one there. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, Randa Dufo, and all the many others who have uh, listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. 
We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation <laughs> movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, did, was there something you were going to say? Make time stand still, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Hi, Mike. We've got him on the TCAS. <laughs> The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.